0: Welcome to Story Radio, the home for readers, writers, and lovers of short stories everywhere. Today we're going to be listening to Cool Bird, written and read by Tabitha Potts. I heard it before I saw it, a frantic beating of wings. Then we came across the cage. Dull grey, quite large, it stood alone in the field, a magpie inside flapping, its black and white feathers glossy, as though polished. We looked around but saw no one, as had been the case since we set off half an hour ago for our officially designated hour of exercise. I went closer to the cage, trying to work out if it could be opened so I could rescue the bird, but it was firmly padlocked. The magpie appeared unharmed but frightened, and as I leaned closer I saw a dead squirrel, its flesh torn in the bottom of the cage and recoiled. Later. Back at the house, I identified it. A Larson trap. Sometimes a female magpie will lay her eggs immediately in terror when placed in one of these traps. Breeding pairs are disrupted and forced to abandon their nests. I shuddered as I read this, and laid my hand protectively on my stomach. You shouldn't interfere, said Jem, who, like me, was conscious of us being interlopers here. The flatness of the landscape bred a kind of paranoia. We'd gone on an unfamiliar walk the other day and became convinced someone half a mile away was following us to tell us to go home, get out, get lost. Act normal, I hissed at him as he brought the dog to heel and put him on a lead. I am, he hissed back. Is he getting closer? We quickened our pace until we arrived back at the little seaside village where we'd parked the car. "'Stay safe, stay home, protect our NHS,' blared a sign in scrawled red letters over the awnings of the shuttered seaside shack. Wordlessly, we hurried to the car. Our pursuer had vanished. At least, I could see no sign of him on the path when I looked back, as though he had melted back into the dunes. Five months before I was due, and my stomach had already tightened up like a drum, the baby's hands and feet starting to squirm beneath my skin. I couldn't face the accusing faces of the nurses yet. You're registered with a London GP. So I had avoided going into the local hospital, half an hour's drive away, with its off-putting COVID-19 ward signs. I wished I could just have the baby in the bath, cut the cord with a kitchen knife, and avoid officialdom altogether. You might yet have to, Jem said when I told him this. I burst into tears. I cried a lot back then. At night I had vivid shocking dreams. In one I was pursued across the dunes. I couldn't see the pursuer's face but sometimes I felt his hot breath on my neck. In another I was surrounded by metal bars, caged like the call bird we'd seen, trapped to attract another. Jem and I were fighting more than we ever used to when we lived busy stressful lives in London. We'd both been furloughed, and Jem was trying to write a novel, but it was not going well. Sometimes I zoom-called our tenant, just to listen to the familiar sounds of the sirens in the background. Our hastily rented house, in a remote part of the county, suffered from damp and faced north, so always felt gloomy. I walked a lot. There was one route, overgrown and shady, through a hollow way, which led to one of the few bits of woodland in the area. Beyond the woods lay a huge old house, empty as far as I could tell, surrounded by a long flint wall. Returning home along the path, I met a man dressed in an ancient-looking jacket and wellies and carrying a shotgun broken over his shoulder. I expected him to move to one side to give me room, but instead he kept walking towards me in the centre of the path, almost as though he was unaware of my presence. I had to scramble up the bank to avoid him, frightened that I would lose my balance on the rough ground but even at that distance, I was struck by the rank smell of his body, sweet and musty at the same time. Pregnancy had heightened my sense of smell, but even so, there was something repellent about him. Probably a gamekeeper, or a poacher with a couple of rabbits in his bag, said Jem when I got home and told him about it. I stopped walking in the woods It wasn't long after this encounter that Jem started to disappear in the evenings. He'd whistle the dog to him and disappear down the country lanes in the twilight. I wasn't bothered at first. I liked having the cottage to myself, luxuriating in Netflix binge watches and medium hot bubble baths. One Saturday night, he came home quite late. I'd made a casserole and started filling our plates. I'm not hungry. Why not? you've been out for hours. I watched him pace around the kitchen. I just don't feel hungry. Is there something wrong with that? He hadn't eaten anything for breakfast either, I remembered suddenly. His features looked sharper and his grey eyes seemed to glitter. But I... There was no chance to finish my sentence, as the front door slammed behind him. I gave up and went to bed alone, as had been happening recently. He was a light sleeper, and my tossing and turning frequently woke him, he said. The next time he went out, I followed him, walking as far behind as I could without losing sight of him and the dog. The sun was setting, and at one point on the walk, passing a meadow, I saw a barn owl hunting, as white as a ghost. I couldn't see very far ahead of me. I was relieved when he took out a torch. The dog seemed to be restless, whining and tugging at his lead, Perhaps he could sense me following them. Jem was heading towards the woods, near where I'd met that man. The hollow way was very dark, and I had to move cautiously, scared my ungainly movements would give me away, or that I might fall. He marched ahead, walking so fast, the dog was almost being dragged along behind him. As he approached the wall, I was surprised to see a woman standing there. She was wearing a white dress luminescent in the darkness, and had a tangle of long black hair. Their bodies seemed to merge together for a moment, as though they were kissing or whispering to each other. Behind where they stood was a patch of more intense darkness, and a moment later she seemed to pull Jem into it. I could just see the glimmer of her white arms and dress. And then they both vanished. There must have been a gate there I hadn't seen before. I didn't wait for him. I half walked, half ran away as fast as I could. I didn't stop until I reached the cottage, and then I turned on all the lights, locked all the doors, and closed all the windows. The dog came back in the early hours, limping, his lead still on. I heard his whimpering on the doorstep as I lay inside, sleepless, and brought him in. He slept curled up under the duvet, and for weeks refused to go further outside than the garden. Jem never came home. I described what had happened to the police and they talked a lot about the psychological pressure on a father-to-be and the claustrophobia of lockdown. We went back to where I'd seen the woman standing in the evening and it was clear there was no gate in the wall. That house had stood empty for a long time, I was told. It's very hot now as I wait for the baby to be born. Sometimes it's like I'm burning up. I walk out into the lanes in my nightgown with my uncut hair falling down my back. I feel like I'm the cool bird. A child should have a father, after all. That was Cool Bird, written and read by Tabitha Potts. If you're enjoying the podcast, why not write us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher? We'll be back next month on the 1st with some more short stories. Until then, stay safe and well. Goodbye.